Hello, and welcome back to the Echoes Business Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson. Thanks for joining me today as we continue our discussion about economic inclusion and, in particular, the relationship between income equality and other kinds of equality, for example, gender equality. Here to talk a little bit more about this is Jackie Zayner. Jackie refers to herself as an enthusiastic and dedicated financial feminist. In 1996, she became the youngest woman and first female trader to be made partner of Goldman Sachs. She left Goldman in 2002 and became a founding partner of Circle Financial Group. In 2009, she co-founded the Women's Philanthropic Network, Women Moving Millions. Today, she works to provide women with the tools to grow social capital and achieve financial freedom through her companies She Place and She Money. She also continues her work as an investor in women-led companies and VC funds. Jackie, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Francis. I'm excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, Jackie, I'd love to start today by going back to the beginning of your own career in finance. As you got started, what did you see in the industry that sort of convinced you or demonstrated that women were not having an equitable economic experience? Oh, gosh. You know, how far back should I go is the question. I would say maybe I'll just sort of put a little more context to how I landed at Goldman Sachs and, you know, this description, which is what I embrace now, which is being a financial feminist. I'm turning 60 next year, so I'm, I'm not a youngster. have a few years under my belt, but I grew up in a very small town in Canada. Very, I would say, modest income family. You know, it was, again, in the 60s. So we're not talking the cultural context or content that we might experience now. So you just imagine a, you know, a little girl like running around with cowboy boots on, you know, riding horses and watching Little House on the Prairie. And that's not where I am now, (laughs) to say the (laughs) least, but very traditional upbringing with, you know, my mom that worked outside the home. And, you know, we always had enough. I would not say a lot, but didn't really think about money at all. Gosh, in studying in college, I think that was the big entryway. And decided to, instead of following a career, and I'm a first-generation college graduate, just ended up falling into finance a little bit and ended up studying it as a major and ended up at Goldman Sachs. And even then, when I started, and I remember getting my first offer, you know, in 19, oh gosh, 88. And I think the package at that time, it was $45,000 a year with plus bonus. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, awesome. And then I had to live in New York. (laughs) So that was not the easiest. Let's just say I didn't save much in those early years. But I just entered, I would say, the world of money in 1988 and from a professional context. And, you know, my analyst class when I started Goldman was pretty close to 50-50, but that's it. You know, you look into leadership positions or who was at the time on the trading floor. It was a very male-dominated industry. And again, we're talking 1988, so this was a minute ago. And it was there that I sort of started this career in the professional world of money, you know, as an analyst and later as a trader. And that's, I would say, sort of the backdrop to this context of the role of money that money plays in the world, especially in the professional context, again, of money management and capital flows amongst the biggest institutions, governments, clients, you name it. But then what is the role of women and how does money and power intersect or overlap or not with women? And that's where that journey really began. 
Well, let's dig into that, this intersection between money and equality, because I think that's the key. Whether you think about money as a woman or not, whether you're earning your own money or not, there is a relationship between access to capital, access to money, financial security, and equality for women, gender equality. Of course. So what is the impact on women when they are excluded economically or when they don't have financial freedom? What does that intersection look like between money and equality for women? Well, that's such a big question. So let's just start maybe with a little of the kind of the context of the facts that there is in many ways lack of equality. When the work we do at She Money, we talk a lot about or I've obsessively collected a lot of research as it relates to the gender gaps when it comes to money. And there are a lot of them before we talk about the impact of that. I mean, one of the big ones that you mentioned, I think you're, while you didn't mention explicitly, is just the pay gap. And especially here in Utah, that where we rank, and I think people know this, but one of the worst state in the country when it comes to the gender gap across a lot of broad measures, economics and money being one of them. So the wage gap is one of the biggest ways that women experience inequality. Of course, we have the investing gap, which is women in general invest later, invest less. So what that means is in the context of the investing experience or those that are participating in wealth creation through investment, and we can talk about the reasons for that, there's also a big gap. There's also the wealth gap and equally framed the retirement gap. And you can imagine if you make less, because they all build and interconnect with each other, if you make less and invest less, and again, these are huge averages and talking about sort of these bigger macro things, not how that might manifest at an individual level, but that means, and women live longer. So you, what that means is you have less money in your later years, which means a different perhaps standard of living on average and less money to take care of your, your future self, so to speak. And there are other gaps too, as it relates to money, which is again, one of the reasons I started She Money is confidence gap. And let me layer in one more big (laughs) issue, and if it's not complicated enough, which is women are more likely to experience some sort of financial trauma, which impacts, obviously, our money mindset, our confidence, and outcomes related, which, again, if you've had financial trauma, which can be experiencing poverty, a sudden change in financial circumstance, or outright financial abuse, that also plays into all of this. I think everyone knows this and feels this in their gut that when you come to money, it's very complicated and there's a lot to unpack. And that also creates sort of these barriers around engagement, right? Like, you know, if you feel like you don't know enough, don't do enough, there's all this going on, then, you know, you're less likely to be money curious, as we like to say, and to take the next step as it relates to your money. And this plays even more into effect when you you think from an intersectional point of view, layer in that you're not perhaps a white person, where you live. And if you're a BIPOC person, especially Black in this country, I've written a lot about the color of money and researched a lot. And around that topic, it's even more of those factors are likely to come into play. I wonder if a barrier is also sort of this idea of money, sometimes we think of it as like dirty or it's like related to greed. We don't want to be money grubbing. And so we sort of push it aside or we don't 
center it in our lives because we don't want to seem shallow or greedy or just like obsessed with money. What are some other sort of misconceptions or false narratives around money that you think women have or might have that prevent them from, again, getting curious and really focusing on financial well-being and financial health? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, and I don't begin to know what's true for everyone. But a lot of what I've heard is some of that same stuff, which is money is bad, you know, like you're going to get too greedy. And the world is full of people that are super rich and seemingly waste a lot of money, right? (laughs) It can be easy to kind of pick that up and say, well, I don't want that. But that doesn't mean it's true for you. And I do think this framing of seeing money like air, like water, like shelter as in fact, that's what provides for that is the new story, the new narrative that we have to work together to build around money. And one of my favorite speakers and influencers and people, and I really want her to be my best friend, and I really want her to come to Utah, and that is Dr. Brene Brown. She's the best. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. But she talks about shame and so many of the narratives. So, you know, Brene Brown is all about vulnerability and shame. And the reason I want her to come to Utah is to talk about this intersection of vulnerability and shame with money. And one of the things, and I've only been able to find one so far, one podcast where she very, very, very explicitly gets vulnerable herself and talks about money in the context of her work around emotional affect and particularly shame. And, oh my gosh, I, we can if you have show notes, we can make sure we post it. But what she says as her best advice, you know, as it relates to these stories that aren't serving us is when, when you have like either a money response or that you say something, oh, money, it's just about greedy, or I'm not, the one I hear all the time is I'm just not good with money, right? I'm just not good with money. Women also just like, I'm just not good with math. And I would say back, why do you think that's true? And how is that serving you? And that's her biggest advice in this podcast that she even applied to herself is check the stories you're telling yourself about your relationship with money. And I really believe, and and this is more than just, we're going to manifest stuff, you know, manifest abundance. But this culture, and this is part of the trauma of living in a capitalistic society around money, is that you can never have enough. You can never be smart enough. There's this enoughness that surrounds this narrative around self, which inevitably is deeply interconnected with this topic of money, that's just dysfunctional and is getting in the way of all of us actually having a healthy relationship to financial resources as all money is. It's a medium of exchange. That's all it is, really, at its core, at a store of value. You have your companies, She Money and She Place, really targeted at educating women about money, helping them feel confident with their money, helping them do the things with their money that will give them the life that they want. What are some of the tools, some of the training, some of the education that you do through these organizations to really address this issue of economic equality and freedom for women? I mean, there's no lack of resources, you know, out there. I'm looking behind me, which has stacks of books. You can Google anything and, you know, get access to it. And what we think our sort of theory of change is around this is what's lacking is community, right? Like we learn better together. This is kind of true for anything. 
So what we're trying to do is, you know, again, having a long history of kind of funding other businesses and writing. And I I was going to say, I've been writing about women and money myself and integrating in the research and practices and tips for, gosh, over 20 years. My biggest platform is on LinkedIn, where I produce a newsletter called She Money, which I've been writing for a number of years, where we talk about money with a gender lens. And we, I'm very proud that we're up to over 150,000 direct subscribers, and I'm one of the top influencers on about women and money on, on the platform on LinkedIn. So it's not a full-out financial literacy platform, financial education platform, but we do talk about financial wellness. We do push out resources as it relates to wellness and also this categories that we're calling the seven money moves, which is investing, saving, giving, borrowing, earning, protecting, and giving. So those are all the seven things you can do with your money. And we have some content and tips in all of those areas. But the missing piece for me was community, right? Like how do you have learning experiences together? How do you form friendships she Place is our community side, which is open to anyone to join. It's designed for women plus who want to come together to support other women. But how do you make friendships? And we specifically name this idea of building social capital. And we have workshops. We've had one, as mentioned, with Trauma of Money. We just had one a couple of weeks ago. We brought in Barbara Annis, who is one of the, the leading consultants and authors in this in the world, not even in the country around building inclusive culture and more specifically her area is gender intelligence. So we had a workshop for almost 100 women to talk about earning. How do I build up my skills and capacities to earn as much as I can and also recognizing how corporate culture, especially if male-dominated, how do I affect change in culture? So we're doing workshops, we've got content, and very excitingly, in June of next year, we're having the first ever, I think, in the country, what might be in the world, summit. We're calling it the She Money Summit, which will be a convening right here in Utah, which is all about everything I'm talking about. I love this idea of community, especially around money, because I think another misperception that women in particular have around money that certainly I have had and probably still have around money is that we shouldn't talk about it. Right. Right. You don't talk about how much you earn. You don't talk about how much you have. You don't talk about how much you spend. Everyone's money is kind of their little secret. And I think that can have a really detrimental effect in how we think about money, right? It can contribute to this idea that money is bad or shameful. I think it can also be a detriment if we're not talking about our salary, for example, how do I know if I'm making less than someone else who's doing the same job as me? Or how do I see aspirationally this person has the same amount of money as me and they're able to do more things than I'm able to do? How do they do that? Or why is that the case? So I love this idea of community as part of this process of demystifying money and saying, hey, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to learn about it. And when we do that together, we're all equipped with more information to make the best choices for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. Right. I mean, spot on. And when you think about it, and I'm curious what your answer would be to this question, is why don't we talk about it? Like, how did that become so normalized, right? To not talk about it. Like, we talk about 
a lot of other things now kind of openly. (laughs) So why do you think that is, Francis? Let me ask you that question. Why do you think it's normal not to talk about money? I mean, I think for me personally, in my family growing up, money was always something that we were told not to talk about. Don't tell your friends how much your dad makes or... I mean, I guess that was kind of a big one. My dad grew up without a lot of money and became a very successful attorney with a good amount of money. He would be mortified (laughs) for me to be saying that on this podcast, but it made him kind of obsessed about money, going from not having very much money to having a comfortable life. I think his relationship with money was very fraught And I think that that kind of trickled down to us. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's very common experience. I mean, I think when it gets back to Brene Brown and the stories we learn, but we adopt these beliefs and these behaviors for a reason. They don't come out of nowhere, right? Like all of this anchors itself in our family systems, in our experiences, you know, so just acknowledging that is powerful, right? And then I get back to this question, how is it serving you? How is it serving me? How is it serving our communities, especially in communities of women? And there are ways, and what we really want to do is normalize talking about money. And talking about money is not bragging about money. Talking about money is not making money kind of something bigger than it is, which is a resource, a medium of exchange, and a store of value. So I think you can have a lot of money and not be a bragger. And oppositely, I think when we talk about it, we understand that so much of people's financial circumstance is really beyond their control. And we tell a story about money, too, that is especially tied up with status and achievement, that if you were smart, you'd have a lot of money. If you were this, if you made good life choices, you'd have a lot of money. And that's just not true. There's a lot of luck involved. And especially, like I do a lot of coaching and mentoring I'm part of this Women Who Succeed group where we mentor young women in college. Actually, two of mine are at the U right now. And, you know, part of in the session, and they're studying finance, which I'm very excited about, is just socializing women into careers and telling them not talking about money or caring about money is what is feminine, is what they should be doing. I think we all have these beliefs and behaviors that came from somewhere And to be able to debunk those myths and normalize talking about money in the context of recognizing its value around our own well-being is, I hope, going to take away from those fears that we all have that we're going to be judged either for not having enough or having too much and all of that because it's just not serving anyone to think about money in that way. And for men, especially like there's also a lot of harmful stuff in there where for men, success is so tied with money and less so for women. So I'm not saying, you know, on on the other side too, that women, you know, our belief systems not serving us. I think there's a lot that's not serving men, but what they are socialized to, to be brought up to do is to think about money, to care about money, to aspire, to make a lot of money And there was a balance around that with women where we don't make too much of it or too less of it. We just recognize the important role that it plays and help each other make really wise choices, including what to study, what careers to pursue, how to negotiate for salaries, when to start investing, 
you know, how to take control of spending, how to create a high yield savings account. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that's what we're trying to do is getting into the the narrative, which is normalize it, talk about it, we all need it. And then how do we implement it in community? Yeah, I think this goes back to what we were saying before. Of what have we attached to money that doesn't belong there? Yes. What power have we given money that it actually doesn't have? And when we can roll that back and see it for what it is, we can engage with it in, I think, a much more healthy and realistic way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's why I'm on this journey now after, again, I've been at this a long time and I'm just so excited to be doing this in Utah. I like, I really am. And we have a great partnership with the University of Utah and President Randall has been incredibly supportive and hosting events for us. And we're here, you know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners to your podcast are beyond Utah, but you know, it's what does this look like to really do it in community? And of course, she plays and she money is part of that. But how to do this in your own life, wherever you are, whether it be at your dinner table to say, you know what, we've never talked about money. You know, I've asked my mom so many questions about money recently, about her own background. And I constantly do or my friends. And when you see someone going through something financially, being willing to talk about it and learn together. And Brene Brown talks about this in the podcast I mentioned. You know, we all are somewhere on our money journey and we all care deeply, especially in the the context of friends and family, about each other. And it's just not serving us not to put money into the equation because of whatever reason. That's the message. It's so key to our wellness. It's so key to our well-being. Well, what would the economy look like, Jackie, if you could imagine a system where there's equitable access to capital, where people are talking about it in a healthy way, they have a relationship, a healthy relationship with money? What would life look like for women in particular if we were living in that kind of economy? The utopia... (laughs) of money and economic equality, what would life look like? How would it be different from what we experience now? So I have a a very big Wonder Woman collection, as you're seeing behind me, and this dates back decades. And I think about sometimes why I'm obsessed with Wonder Woman. I think I did a podcast on this at some point, like why Wonder Woman for me? Because it presented a world, a character, and this was years before We've had the movies. We've now had two movies. But when I grew up, we had a television show where Wonder Woman was a character and we had the comic books where women lived off on this island, right? And they were all goddesses and, you know, how no men and they were like, you know, (laughs) fighting all the time, training for we don't know what, but, you know, they had cute outfits and they were happy (laughs) together. (laughs) They didn't even need money. I don't know. It was like it pays to be that. I don't know. There was no financial currency. I was thinking about that the other day, but it was like a share economy. Like they just did stuff and took care of each other. And, you know, in some ways, I think that is not that there wouldn't be that. But I I think in a world where women, where there was, a, you know, more equality, it's so good for men. And actually a prior call that I was on just before this one was with a gentleman named Ray Arada, who's one of the leaders in this country. And we would call the better men movement. So he's been convening men around gender equality and supporting men on their journey to, to get away from sort of these harmful norms and behaviors. And I'd I'm going to use the term, even though I kind of don't want to use it, toxic masculinity, because it's been so weaponized. But the world isn't necessarily working for men 
either. So in a world where there is greater access and opportunity and that utopian, it is really good for men and folks who identify across the gender spectrum. It is a world where we respect and care for each other, right? Because that is what's going to have to happen and to give up power and to more fully share power because money at the end of the day, how it flows is an expression of our values as a society, both at an individual and collective level. So I think in the world that we imagined, it's just better for everyone and we will take care of each other better. That's the world I'm working for. And it's, I think it's a great world for everybody. I think this is such a great thing for all of us to keep in mind, though. How our money flows and where our money flows shows the values that we hold that we believe in, whether it's in our family, our community, our state here in Utah or beyond, our larger economy, that I don't think there are very many people who, if you ask them, do you care about taking care of other people, would say no. But we don't always know what that takes And we don't always know the ways that we might be inadvertently preventing ourselves from enjoying that kind of community and that kind of society. So I think a place where power is equally distributed, money is equally distributed, and where we actually care about each other is the kind of place that we can all get behind. Yeah, exactly. Just as takeaways for those that made it to the end here, I think the top one is think about money more and think about your beliefs. You know, we have exercises with She Money that we've done, but it's more than just beliefs. And like anything else in our life, if we want to improve it, we have to give it our attention. And there's probably few things that can help us more today, tomorrow, and into our future, not just ours, but our families, is if we take the time to think more about money we learn about it, we be vulnerable around it to what Brene Brown, you know, invites us to, to realize that no one has this figured out. It's a lifelong journey. You know, we can be in it together and just to seek out community, whether it's She Place and She Money or what we're doing or your local bookstore or your friend group or your college roommate, whatever it is, just start introducing it. And then as you start to feel more comfortable around that, then think about what's my next money move. Where am I in my life? What's the next important thing I need to do? Like whether it be around debt or saving or investing or earning. And my biggest thing to remember is like a big money tip is know that time matters. Time is the biggest variable when it comes to money and having a healthy financial future. So the earlier we educate our kids, the earlier we take responsibility for our money, the compounding effect of that is extraordinary. And one of the things that hurts my heart the most is to be in conversation with people that are my age or older saying, shoot, why didn't someone tell me to think about this, do it, take care of it earlier? It's like our health, the same thing. Don't wait for a crisis to catalyze your curiosity or necessity. Jackie, I'm so grateful to you for the time that you took today to give us some time to think about money and understand it better. I appreciate your expertise and I really learned so much. Thank you for being here. Oh, Francis, it's been so fun. You're a great host and I appreciated the conversation. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back next week with another great conversation about economic inclusion. 
So be sure to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss it. And invite a friend or fellow alum to listen with you too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time, Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.